program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merritt, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. What's good, everybody, and welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB. I'm Andy Sugov. I'll be your host tonight on this Sunday evening, May 29, 2022, here in Merrick, New York. Before we begin, I just want to remind everyone that you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can also visit our website at WGBBSportsTalk.com, where you can listen to all past shows and check out any upcoming show information. And if you don't already... We invite you to subscribe to our podcast, WGBB Sports Talk New York, on iTunes, Spotify, or pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcast. I highly recommend you do that. And before I start, always got to give my shout-out to my guy behind the glass, Brian Graves. Brian, how we doing tonight? Got the thumbs up from Brian. That means we're all set to go. So, it's Memorial Day weekend, and the unofficial start is summer. As I was driving here, I, I drive past the train station, and... Merrick's doing their yearly yearly fair that they do, and, and it goes, anybody who's familiar with Long Island knows that this fair kind of bounces from train station to train station every every couple weeks during the summer. So I guess this week is Merrick's week to have it. And as I'm waiting at the red light, I see the the big the big swing ride, and I'm watching it. Like I'm getting a little bit queasy looking at it. Like I, I'm like, I remember going on that ride when I was like six years old. And looking at it now at thirty, looking how and how did I do that? Then I look, then I look to the left and I see the Gravitron, which is my favorite ride that they would always have at this park. And you sit it, you sit in there, you, and it starts spinning really fast. You kind of like stick up against the wall, like like in a, like a zero gravity type thing, and it's so much fun. I love that one, and and hated the swing ride. So. That was that was one of those things that I, as I'm seeing at the red light coming over here, I just kind of had that thought of why one, not the other. And I hope I hope anybody who's on those rides is having the time of their life and really enjoying themselves and enjoying this nice weather that will continue for the next couple of days. It's going to hit 90 tomorrow, which is very nice. And people like that going into June. Another thing that's going to go from one to a hundred really quick is Game Seven. One game for the New York Rangers. I can't hold anything back. And no, Brent, I did not come up with that all by myself. I took that right from your partner, Dan Fouts. Shout out to the water boy. We all love that movie. One game. They're tied at three. They lost the first two in Carolina. Win the next two at the Garden. Lose game five in Carolina. Come back to New York yesterday. Win. Tomorrow's it. Winner plays Tampa in the in the Eastern Conference Finals. The loser is going to be playing the for, the tee time ahead of me at the golf course. The Rangers haven't won in Carolina in this in this series, as I just said. The Carolina Hurricanes they haven't lost at home in the entire playoffs. They went to games. They went to seven games against Boston. They won all four games in Carolina. Lost all three in Boston. Looking very similar here. They've won the first three at home. They lost all three in New York. They have the home ice, so good smart money would say pick the Hurricanes. If you're the Rangers, 
you take that you got to take that personally like okay you think that you think that we're going to lose we're going to take it to you but now if you're head coach Gerard Gallant how do you do it how do you take them down well the biggest one and as I've been watching this series it's been one of those things that's been eating at me the entire series and really the entire playoffs they have to get shots on net they won. They won last night five to two, which is great. Like you look at the you look at the score, you say, okay, the Rangers outplay them. I don't know if you want to go that far. They got outshot thirty nine to twenty five. So they scored on twenty percent of their shots, which is amazing. And you can't expect that to happen every single game that you play. You can't get outshot by that much at home or really anywhere and expect to win more often than not. They were outshot thirty nine twenty five yesterday in game five. They were outshot 34 to 17, so a two to one clip. In game four, they were outshot 37 to 28. In game three, they which they won, they were outshot 44 to 33. In game two, they were outshot 22 to 21. The only game that the Rangers have outshot the Carolina Hurricanes in this series was the first game. So they outshot them 28 26, and it took them to overtime to get that. So in, in five of six games. They are being outshot by a team that they are, in all their aspects, they are matching up well. Like, you look you look at this series and you don't think the Rangers are playing badly. They're just not getting those opportunities, especially in Carolina. Watching, watching the three games that have been played in Raleigh, it looks like two completely different games than, what, than the games that they played in New York. The games at Madison Garden looks a little bit more free-flowing, a lot more open, and they're they're getting their they're getting some opportunities. They're not turning the puck over as often. The games on the road, they can't get out of their own zone. Every pass gets blocked. Every shot attempt gets blocked. And the Hurricanes take it right back up the ice. Passes into the neutral zone get stolen. And that can't happen tomorrow because all you have left is one game. One game that they need. That they need to do everything that's possible for them to win this game. And that includes winning faceoffs, which they have not done in this entire playoff. Yesterday, they lost 61% of their faceoffs. And still somehow managed to win 5-2. I'm not, still not really sure how that happened. Because a team that loses 60% of their faceoffs should not be really shouldn't be winning as many games as the Rangers are. And winning faceoffs has been a problem all season long. They don't have anybody that can reliably win a faceoff. And that's and when it comes to crunch time and you need that faceoff win in the offensive zone and you're not winning it, that's precious seconds coming off the clock. That's no opportunity to set up a play where you can have one of your defensemen take a shot. You need somebody who's going to be reliable in those in those waning minutes. I look at Mika Zibanejad, and he's been one of their better face-off guys, but he's been pretty bad. But at least he makes up for it with everything else he does. He's scored in four straight games. He's he's putting the team's offense on his back right now, scoring in pretty much every way imaginable. I. I I've been to a few of the playoff games, and 
he he gets the crowd on their feet every single time he touches the puck. He's getting the puck in the net, so we all we all love that. Throw throw the towels around, you know, every time they score a goal, and when the when the jumbotron prompts us to do so. But he's he's the key for their offense right now. It's not Kreider. It's not Artemi Panarin who, outside of scoring yesterday, really has been quiet in these in this play, especially in this series against Carolina. Chris Kreider, you, have, you haven't really heard much from him. It's been Mika Zibanejad. It's been Andrew Kopp. It's been Frank Vitrano. And somehow even Tyler Mott's getting in, getting in on this as he scored yesterday. I still don't know how that puck went in. As Nancy Ronta got a lot of it. And at this point, might as well just put 93 in the rafters. Ain't nobody's allowed to wear that thing ever again after Mika's contract is up. Just put it up there right now, just based on this playoffs alone, especially if they win tomorrow. If they win tomorrow and he scores a goal, just do it right now. We we all know he can wear it in, he can wear it in perpetuity until he actually retires, and then nobody can ever wear it again. That that is his. The playoffs has really become his domain right now. And everybody else is along for the ride. Would I like to see Chris Kreider step it up some? Absolutely. Would I like to see Artemi Panarin become more of that playmaker that he ha- that he was in the regular season? Yes. The difference is, you're not playing Buffalo anymore. There's not going to be that open space on the ice. You're going to have to find you have to find plays in those smaller windows that close up a lot faster. You know, Brady Shea and Tony D'Angelo have played with you. They know your game. They know how to, they know how to contain you. And that's, that's really neutralized him in this series. I like the kid line. Alexi Lafreniere, Cabo Caco, Filipino. They're playing, they, they really built up this chemistry together here in the playoffs. And good on Gerard Gallant to finally put them all together, let them grow together so that way they can become this vaunted line that we all want them to be. Filipino scores two goals yesterday. Almost had a third. You know, he and Lafreniere really seem to be on, be clicking on the same page right now. Lafreniere has had a has had a nice playoff. He's put in a, he's put in a couple. He's made some solid plays. He he knows where he needs to be. Cabo Caco would he? I would like to see a little bit more out of him, and I would have liked to have seen him put that puck in the net in game one because then we wouldn't be talking about a game seven because the Rangers would have won in six because they would have won that game. And I, I know I can't really be talking about it too much because I can't skate. And if I and if I had that opportunity to put them, I would probably whiff too. But when you're a professional athlete, you can't whiff on a shot like that. And the Rangers have done that a lot, not just not just in the playoffs, but over the course of the season. I, I even came up with a verb for it. It's called stroming, as we've seen Ryan Strom do that quite a bit. So Kako stromed in Game One, and. I don't want to say it cost them the game, but you started to see the tie turn when that happened. So I'd like to see him have a big game seven, make make some big plays, maybe put one in the net. And obviously, I'd like to see the Rangers win seven nothing. I know it's not going to happen, but you know, wishful thinking. We we all we all want that because we we want to see the Rangers take on the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference Finals. See if they can make up for 2015 and take them down. And of course, the most important aspect of all, when you're looking at this Ranger team and what's what's going to be the biggest reason that they win this game tomorrow, should they win this game, is the man 
between the pipes. Number 31, Igor. And Igor has, he's, he's putting on a, after he got benched twice against Pittsburgh, he has been light years better in every game since. Now he's only given up a couple goals a game. He's making saves that I didn't even realize were possible. There was this, there was one in game five he made that he just kind of like bounced off the ice and somehow made a save. And I'm, I'm sitting there stunned. Like, how did he do that? Like, like nobody should be able to move their body in a way that he just did. And with that kind of flexibility to slide the entire way across the crease and keep this puck out of the net. Like, o- only the best of the best make the save. And right now, Igor Shesterkin is the best of the best. He's going to win the Vezina Trophy this year, which goes to the top goalie. He's a candidate for the Hart Trophy, the MVP. He's not going to win that. But you, if not, not many goalies win the MVP, and it hasn't happened in several years, not since Carey Price won. And it, it doesn't happen too often. So to get an honor like that, is huge. And knowing that the Rangers have him for a while longer just kind of gives me like that warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart. Now, he's just got to keep doing what he's doing and do not give up a soft goal tomorrow. Keep everything in front of you. No letdowns. And let's hope the Rangers score first. It's going to be loud in Carolina tomorrow. A lot of Rangers fans are going to be there. As you see a lot of a lot of New Yorkers go south after they realize they don't want to be up here anymore. There's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of Ranger fans there. I want to I want to hear them more than I want to hear the Carolina fans. I I don't want to hear Let's Go Canes. I want to hear those Let's Go Rangers chants as I'm watching on ESPN tomorrow. I want them to, I want them to drown out the Hurricane fans. And knowing Ranger fans, we are loud. I, I was I was at the I was at Game Four, and Every time Tony D'Angelo touched the puck, I can't repeat what we were chanting, but you heard it. And I imagine when somebody watching on TV heard it, they got it loud and clear. And Tony D'Angelo can say it doesn't affect him. It definitely does. Because nobody, nobody wants to have that being yelled at you just because. And he earned every bit of what we were yelling at him. But don't, like, don't lie and say it doesn't get to you. I know, I know you have to say it because you don't, you don't want, you don't want to give any, anybody anything extra. But you know deep down that it eats at you. And that you don't want to hear the fans say it. Even though it's true. I, as I said a little bit earlier, the, the way the game is being played in this series, it's like two different games are being played. When the games are in Carolina, it feels a lot more chippy, you know, a lot, a lot more play, you know, breaking up passes, not really getting anything going. As we've seen in the shot totals, you know, they only got 17 in game five, they only got 21 in game two, got 26 in game one. Where they got, they were getting more shots on net in the games at Madison Square Garden. They were able to make those passes, make those plays. 
and had fewer mistakes. So they got to be able to find a way to play the Madison Square Garden game in Carolina. Can they do that? I really hope so. 8 o'clock tomorrow night, I'm going to be sitting on my couch, sweating out of every orifice, probably biting my nails, wondering, is this going to be the night? Are they going to do it? Are they going to finish them off? Or is Carolina going to jump out to a lead and not let go? And I really hope it's the former and not the latter. I want I want to see the Rangers make a run. You know, most of New York sports for the last decade have been pretty mediocre. The Yankees haven't won a World Series since 2009. The Mets haven't. The Mets are good this year, but up until recently, they hadn't been very good since 2016. The Jets and Giants are in rebuilding mode. The Nets fizzled out in the playoffs. The Knicks suck. The Islanders probably should have found a way to make the playoffs this year, but having a 13-game road trip and losing two weeks to COVID doesn't really help them. Right now, the entire New York sports world is looking at the Rangers. And, th- and that's kind of fun to talk, to think. It's it's June. It's baseball season. The Yankees are in first place. The Mets are in first place. And yet, the Rangers are on a playoff run. And that that should take precedent. And waiting for either the Rangers or the Hurricanes coming off tomorrow's game that's going to be anxiety inducing for everybody watching. And when that and when it inevitably goes into overtime because we all know it's going to, just like the Pittsburgh series did. After all of that, they have the juggernaut of the Tampa Bay Lightning waiting for them. And they're going to be well-rested, they're going to be fresh, and they are coming off a shellacking of the Florida Panthers, sweeping them in four, and looking primed and ready to make another run for their third straight Stanley Cup championship. Who? We haven't seen a team win three Stanley Cups since the Islanders in the 80s. We've seen teams win two in a row, and then lose, and then, like, like the Oilers in the 80s won... I believe four out of five and five out of seven. Now the Penguins won two twice. The Red Wings won two. Nobody's won three in 40 years. And the Tampa Bay Lightning have that opportunity. And they have, they have the ultimate trump card in goalie Andre Vasilevsky. And this guy, anybody who hasn't watched him, go out and watch what he does in net. He he makes he does everything that you need to do to win games. In his last seven clinching games where you know winner winner go home, he has posted six shutouts out of seven. The only time he let up a goal was against Toronto this year. But he almost had seven shutouts in seven clinching games. That's insane. The, not Mark, Martin Brodeur didn't do that. Patrick Watt didn't do that. Henrik Lundqvist didn't do that. Andre Vasilevsky did. Now, that's a guy that, if you're in a game seven, I will take, I will take his team over pretty much anybody. Maybe, maybe not the 75, 76 Canadians, because that's the greatest team ever, but even then I might, I might still consider taking, I might still consider taking 
the spread on that one because I really do believe that Andre Vasilevsky is something else when it comes to the playoffs, and he's got two rings to prove it. Steven Stamkos is getting hot. You know, he, he's had a, he had a very good series against Florida, you know, putting putting him out there and still having Nikita Kucherov and Alex Kalorn and all the other guys that know how to win on that team is huge. They have winning pedigree. And that's tough to beat in the playoffs. It's not like these guys are all 37, 38, and they're all on their last legs either. Like You're still talking about people who are in their primes and have the opportunity to really make make themselves a dynasty. And should they win the Stanley Cup this year, I would I would have to put them up there as one of the better di- one of the better teams of the last twenty five years. Because no team has won three. Even if they don't win, I still might put them up as one of the better teams of the last twenty five years. Basically, in the post first lockout era, I would absolutely put them up against any other team that has come out and won over the years. And I I think the Lightning could beat them, be it the the 01 Avalanche or the 90s Red Wings or the Crosby and his Prime Penguins. Why why can't why can't they beat them? I believe they can. And then I look over at the Western Conference. That one's already set. I mean, that that was set the other night as the Colorado Avalanche and the Edmonton Oilers do battle to represent the Western Conference in the Stanley Cup final. And regardless of should the Rangers win? Obviously, if the Rangers win, I'm going to be more invested in that. But regardless, most other people will be way more intrigued by the Colorado-Edmonton final. You have two teams that have been on the brink of pushing through to get to the finals for several years now. The Colorado Avalanche have been gearing up for a long time for this. Nathan McKinnon to his stride at another great season. Darcy Kemper had a good season behind the net. They were they were the best team in the Western Conference the entire season. And they just missed out on the President's Trophy by a couple points. The Edmonton Oilers. You got Connor McDavid. One of the, probably the best player in the league, just in terms of ability. And that, that guy is a Hart Trophy candidate every year, as he rightfully should be. And goes out there and he he is carrying the Edmonton Oilers right now. I mean, watching some of the things he did in the, in the series against Calgary was was insane. And that guy scored from every angle imaginable. He does he does things with the puck that I haven't seen in a long time. He can move with such great vision and sees where everything is going. And I don't see how Colorado can stop him. I mean, he's averaging I think one and a half points per game in the playoffs, and only Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier have better averages in a single playoffs. That's how good he's been. And to be on a level of those guys, that that's just putting your game to another level. The Oilers, last year, disappointed, didn't make it into, didn't get to where they needed to be. This year, they they had to go to seven games against the Los Angeles Kings, and I'll admit I did pick the Kings to win that series in seven games. Just like the Toronto Maple Leafs are chokers, I really thought the Edmonton Oilers were chokers as well. I didn't think that they were going to win. They are now proving me wrong. They're saying, Andy, you don't know what you're talking about. 
we're going to shut you up, we're going to shut up all the other doubters, and we're going to take it. So, with that being said, I, I'm really looking forward to watching that series, and I, I will have to uh, break my rule of going to bed early on work nights to watch that series, because that one should be so much fun. I really hope it goes seven games, because that that's a series that needs seven games of the two of them going at each other for three periods and hopefully some overtimes, because that that's just what that's what we need, and that's what hockey needs. Hockey needs this series to be the highlight of their playoff coverage. ESPN got the rights back this year for the NHL, and they've done a very good job with their coverage. Some of the some of the camera angles make me a little bit queasy, but in terms of the actual coverage of the games and coverage of the sport, which they ignored for years, they have done so much better than I expected. Their broadcast teams are good. And I'm sure this is going to be... I'm sure that series is going to have Kenny Albert doing it and with Eddie Olchick. They're... They're going to have, they're going to be going up against the NBA Finals, unfortunately, which means they're going to get, they're going to get trounced in the ratings. But, they, they should still be able to get a decent enough base. Because they are, they are promoting it quite well. And they're promoting it with the players they know they need to promote it with. Guys like Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. Players that everybody needs to know about. And not just in, their home bases and among the hockey diehards. Like, I, I I don't watch basketball that much. I know who Giannis Antetokounmpo is. I know Tyler Harrow from the Miami. Is that game is just about to get underway in Miami as they look to punt their ticket into the NBA Finals against the Golden State Warriors. And good good luck to the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. Uh, shout out to friend of the show DJ Bienemy who is probably, just like I'm going to be tomorrow watching the Ranger game, is probably hyperventilating at every moment in that Miami Heat game. So, DJ, good luck. I, I hope the Heat win for you. But the, mo- at the moral of the story, as I get to the point, is that ESPN's coverage of the playoffs has been really, really good. I'm very pleased watching it, and I'm glad that they got it back. That's that's one sports broadcasting wrong that has been righted. I'm waiting for the other one, and anybody who knows me knows exactly what it is. For those that don't, the NBA on NBC, I need that return. I need I need Kenny Albert to take over Marv's spot on there. Pair him up with Mike Fratello for a couple of years until they find an, until they find a new color analyst. Give me Matt Gukas in the booth and Hannah Storm back back in New York. I want all that. Because why not? That that would be fun for me. Well, that that and that that may that may just be my '90s brain talking, but I stand by it. So with that, one game. Can the Rangers do it? One game. That's all the Ranger fans are asking for. Just get through that. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back. The Mets are on right now. The Yankees lost earlier. They got some problems that are starting to poke their ugly head. We'll get we'll get more into that when we come back here on WGBB Sports Talk New York. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And we're back for the second half of WGBB Sports Talk New York here on WGBB 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. I'm Andy Sukov, and thank you for listening to me instead of watching the Met game, or maybe listening to me while watching the Met game. Uh, if you're not, if you're not watching it or Quick update, it is 3-1 Mets in the bottom of the third. Every single run in the Met game tonight thus far has been scored on and out. Lindor grounds out into a fielder's choice in the first inning. Escobar grounds out into a fielder's choice in the first inning. Mark Canna grounds out the third. So all those runs, no, no home runs, no singles, nothing. Then, in the top of the third, Alec Bone grounds into a double play for the Phillies and run scores for them. So you got that. We'll give you a, we'll give you another update before we sign off at the bottom at the top of the hour. Hit me up on Twitter at Andy underscore Sukoff. Let me know what your Memorial Day plans are. You know, it's, like I said at the beginning of the show, it's going to be really nice tomorrow. Everybody's got the extra day off. Who doesn't love that? My plans, I'm still trying to figure it out, but I'm thinking there's a grill involved. Uh, you know, who who doesn't want to? Who doesn't want a nice burger on Memorial Day coming fresh off the grill with those nice grill marks? So hit me up on Twitter. Tell me, tell me what you're doing tomorrow. Maybe, maybe you're going golfing. Maybe you're going to the beach. Maybe you're just chilling and doing nothing. All of those things are great. And all of those things I highly recommend. One of the things I don't recommend because they're not playing, don't watch the Yankees tomorrow. They're, they're not, they're off with, and they really do need a day off. You know, they they lose today to the Tampa Bay Rays, and they're playing well. Like they're they got a four game lead over everybody in the AL East, but there's some problems that are starting to rear their ugly heads. And one of those is the injury bug. We and we've seen the injury bug hit them like a ton of bricks over and over and over again. This time it's hitting them in with their biggest strength in the bullpen. Coming into the season, the New York Yankees have one of the best bullpens in the league. Zach Britton's not going to pitch this year because he had Tommy John surgery in September. Chad Green is getting Tommy John surgery after pitching pretty effectively until the last couple weeks. Now he's out for the year. Aroldis Chapman is dealing with an Achilles problem. He's lost he's lost several miles an hour on his fastball. Splitter's not as effective. He's he's still he was still pitching okay. But not the not as the oldest Chapman that we know. Jonathan Lewisaga is out with a shoulder injury. So now those problems are being exacerbated when they don't have those pitchers. You have to bring up guys like Rob Marinaccio, and now you're looking and saying, "Who the who is that?" And I and I agree. <laughs> you know, when, when a guy not named Aaron Judge is wearing number a number in the nineties. And pitching for the New York Yankees, you get a little bit concerned. I get it. But 
then J.P. Sears pitched the other night. He's wearing 92, and he did just fine. So riddle me that one. I got to give a lot of credit to Clay Holmes, as he has really stepped up in Chapman's absence. And dare I say it, maybe he's the closer of the future? I mean, Aroldis Chapman's in a free agent at the end of the season. Maybe, maybe you're getting a glimpse of your guy. And the guy throws 98 with ridiculous movement. And I, I was watching, before I got over here, I was, I was watching baseball tonight. And they were showing Holmes and several other pitchers who throw incredibly hard with just insane movement that I look at, it's like a guy throwing the ball 97, 98 miles an hour. The ball shouldn't be moving like that. I, I'm not saying it needs to just be a straight pitch, but I, my very, very basic not understanding of physics at all would tell me that a, something moving that fast, going 60 feet 6 inches, shouldn't move as dramatically as some of these pitches do. Like I remember watching Jose Alvarado throwing 100-mile-an-hour sinkers that would drop several inches at the tail end of the pitch, and it's like, nobody's going to hit that. Like, I bet if you took if you took Isaac Newton, got him into the Bill and Ted phone booth and dropped him in 2022 and had him watch a baseball game from behind the mound, I'm pretty sure he would crap himself watching a pitch move the way it does. Because I, I don't think he ever expected the laws of physics to be defied by by professional athletes. And frankly, I didn't know it was possible either. So, Isaac Newton, you and I are on the same page on that one. But, you know what? I don't know. Maybe maybe that's exactly why. Maybe he was a closet baseball fan in the 1700s. Who knows? And then, I... So, now now that Clay Holmes is, is there setting up for the injured Chapman, which is great that he's been pitching very well, you look, you look at all the other injuries on this Yankee roster that they're dealing with right now. John Carlos Stanton's out with a calf injury, and and that's a huge loss. He's been one of their best hitters this season. Not just hitting the ball over the fence, he's actually getting hits. He was hitting number 300 for quite a while, driving in runs. Josh Donaldson, a lot less so of a loss, but he's a stable, stable part of the lineup that can hit. And when when they when they traded for Josh Donaldson in the spring training, I didn't quite understand it, Cause I, I, mostly because I was so confused about the fact that they were trading Gary Sanchez. I liked that they got Isaiah Kiner falefa and I still do like the fact that he's there, even though he doesn't do anything but hit singles. But basically swapping out Josh Donaldson for Gio Rochelle kind of made me scratch my head a little bit. And Urshel is having a decent season out in Minnesota, and I, I'm glad for him. I hope he continues to kill it, and I hope Donaldson finds his stroke and starts to kill it here. But because of that, because of those injuries, what was looking to be a deep lineup now has some serious black holes in there, especially at the bottom of the order. Like, the top four or five is still doing okay. Guys like DJ LeMayhew is starting to hit again. Aaron Judge is Aaron Judge. Anthony Rizzo is struggling a bit, but you know you know he you know what he's capable of. 
And then you get you get down to the bottom of the order and it's just awful. And I and I got I got three that I'm looking at specifically. Kyle Higashioka, I I I don't want to say it because he's not Gary Sanchez. Like we we all know he can't hit the ball out of the ballpark like Gary Sanchez does. Not not many catchers can. And while he, and while Higgy can actually play the position where Gary can't, you can't have a guy who's hitting 160 behind the plate every day. I, I think at this point, I I think Trevino's got to be the everyday starter. And that's that's unfortunate for Higashioka, who, who patiently waited his turn, got drafted in 2008, sat in the minors for like set nine years, finally got the chance. When Gary Sanchez got hurt, and he's he's just not much of a hitter, and that and that's not what the Yankees need. I would put Trevino out there and let's see, um, let's see what he's got. Can't be any worse. I look at Aaron Hicks, and unfortunately, he's still got like three or four more years left on that contract, and that's awful. He is a loser. It seems like he's like two for his last hundred, and the actual number is seven for fifty-eight. Which, get ready for this, is a one twenty-one batting average. One twenty-one over that's about ten to fifteen games of at bats right there. You're, I mean, you're not talking about a small sample size anymore. Like this, this is a recurring problem, where it might be better off if he gets hurt again. Because what he's doing on the field is really not any different than if he's hurt because he's not contributing. He hit, he seems to consistently come up in big spots and every single time fails. I gotta look at today. Comes up in the eighth inning, Yankees down by two, the runner on third, gotta get yourself a base hit. And to his credit, he did hit this ball hard right up the middle. I, so I gotta get, I do have to get, I do still have to give credit to the Tampa Bay second baseman Walls because he, he did make a great play. But, but Aaron Hicks just can't buy a hit right now. Like no matter what he does. And look, eventually he's gonna have a, he'll have a two week stretch where he actually hits. And that'll get his batting average up to 220. And I, I know that batting average isn't the greatest indicator of how a person's doing. But it's still, it's still important to me to know that you actually get hits. Because if you don't get hits, I don't care if your expected batting average is 579, but if your actual batting average is 180, it doesn't matter because you're not, you're not getting on base. And with that, your, your OBP is going to go down, your OPS is going to go down because you're just not, you're not doing the job you're being paid to do, which is get, get the ball into the outfield. Get on base. And I look at Joey Gallo, a really big loser. I didn't want him when they traded for him last year. I was very lukewarm on that deal. I I thought that was kind of unnecessary. You're, you're talking about a guy who strikes out a lot. Yes, he'll hit 40 home runs, but he's going to strike out 225 times. He's going to hit 200. And that's just that's just not a good baseball player to me like like my, my dad talks about Dave Kingman being very similar in that regard 
And I, I looked at Dave Kingman's stats earlier this morning because I was I was curious. He did hit 440 home runs, which is very good, including 35 in his last season at the age of 37. But he was he was at least a 236 hitter. Not that that's anything to write home about, but that was at least better than a 200 hitter that Joey Gallo is. And everybody said Dave Kingman struck out a lot. And he did. I, I looked at his numbers. He struck out over 100 times quite a bit. But he only struck out over 150 times twice. Joey Gallo struck out 213 times last season alone. He sh- it seems like if he doesn't put the he doesn't put the ball over the fence. He's striking out. He's hitting 167 this season. And we're talking two months in now at this point. With a 570 OPS. That is pathetic. If you're talking about somebody who's supposed to be an upper echelon player. That is not an upper echelon player. That is, get off my team immediately. You are useless. Not to mention, you have five home runs and you have seven RBIs. That the only way you're driving people in is if you're putting the ball over the fence. And you're not even doing that because you're not hitting the ball. The fact that like, when I was watching earlier and he actually put, he popped one up, I would, I almost dropped my drink. I was so surprised. Like like that like that's just that's just unacceptable. I don't I don't want to see him anymore. I'm glad his contract expires at the end of the season because I I would not sign him to a new contract if I was Brian Cashman. And if he does, I think he's completely lost track of what this team needs. They need new outfielders. They really do. And before anybody says it, I don't want to see Brett Gardner anymore. He's 39. Let it go. He played He played here for 14 seasons. Gave you 14 pretty good seasons. I, I get he's a fan favorite, and he always will be. But he's done. You need fresh blood in there. Call Estevan Florial. Let him let him sink or swim. It, it's it's time to see what he can do at the major league level. You see you see bits and pieces here and there, but let, let let's see what he can do. Give Miguel Andahar a shot. Let him play let him play left field every day as we as he did today. What's the worst that can happen? He makes the errors. Okay, it happens. But he, at least at least he could at least he can hit. He's he's at least at two fifty. Again, not that that's that great. But it's better than the 210 that Aaron Hicks is hitting and the 165 that Gallo's hitting. That's just unacceptable. If you're a major league baseball player, you're, and you're a professional athlete, you should be able to put the, you should be able to get on, to get a hit 25% of the time. I'm not saying you have to hit 300. Would I like that? Of course I would. And so would everybody else. And I'm sure so would they. But, given that pitchers are way better now, and that they're throwing a lot harder with a lot more movement, as we were ta- as I was talking about earlier. I know it's not easy to to hit that, and I can't say that I would either, because I know I won't. And I I, w- I would probably step into the batter's box, watch one of these guys throw one 100 miles an hour. I mean, I'd probably run away, cry and throw up, because I wouldn't know what to do with it. <laughs> like, I don't even I don't even know if I'd see it. I'd probably just hear it as it whizzes by. And once it hear- once it popped the catcher's glove. And reverberated through my ears, I would, I guess I would just probably run away because I'd be so scared of getting hit by one of those pitches. And is Jason Dominguez ready yet? Like, let, let, let's give him a shot. I know, I know he's, I know he's only in single A, but can't be that bad, right? And yes, I, I kid, I, they, they're not bringing him up soon enough. 
you know, a couple, couple more years, almost there. Yankee fans, you gotta be patient. Like, I, I, I saw on, like I saw on Twitter last week, somebody posted this trade op, this trade offer. The Yankees get Juan Soto for Dominguez, Volpe, and a couple pitchers. And I thought about it for a second, because Juan Soto's nice. He's one, he's one of the best players in the league, and he's, he's got a contract locked in. Would it be nice to have Juan Soto in the Yankee line right now? Absolutely would be. But after hearing all this about Jason Dominguez and Anthony Volpe, I want to see what they're, what they do in Yankee uniforms. I, I don't, I don't want to see, I don't want to see them do what we all expect them to do for the Yankees and do it elsewhere. That would just, that would just make me physically ill. Especially the fact that while I do like Juan Soto, and I, I'd be lying if I said if the Yankees made that trade, I wouldn't be excited. You know, he, he's Washington's guy. Like they're like they're building around him. I don't see any reason why the Nationals would trade him right now, like, unless they're just completely blowing up the whole thing and just gonna start over from scratch all over again. But Juan Soto is a guy you can do that around. So I, I don't see any reason why they would be doing that. But. The Yankees need to make, they need to do something because you can't put Hicks and Gallo out there every day. How can you continue to do that and expect the winning pace that they're on to continue? A lot of it's been their pitching and their pitching has been incredible. Now you look at, you look at what their starters have done over the last five, six games. Nestor Cortez went eight innings. Jameson Tyone went eight innings. Garrett Cole struck out ten over six. Even Severino didn't have that bad a game today. But the hitting's gotta be there. And they can't just rely on Aaron Judge and then eventually when Giancarlo Stanton comes back. You can't just rely on those two guys to do all the work for you. You need, you need a lineup that anybody one through nine can actually make something happen. And right now they don't have that. But what's gonna happen one day? And it's gonna happen. Because it's the natural flow of baseball. What's going to happen one day when Nestor Cortez takes the mound and has a bad outing and they're down 4 nothing after the second inning? What are they going to do? Curl up and die? No. Like, you can't, you can't have that. But they need to, they need to address this problem. And I, I know it's, I know it's easy for me to say all that when I haven't stepped into the batter's box and I don't have to. But when I watch it and I see these guys look clueless at the plate, that something needs to happen. And I, I don't know if it's benching them, designating them for assignment, finding finding new ways for them to be productive elsewhere. Even if it's even like in a case of Aaron Hicks, just let him let him be a pinch runner, steal a couple bases here and there, try to get try to get yourself some confidence. You know, for Joey Gallo just to be a defensive replacement in the seventh eighth inning. You know, like, get some throws in from right field to get, to get yourself going. But they, they they have to be working in the cage every single day to get this figured out because they can't continue to let this be a festering problem as it gets as the weather gets warmer and pennant raises heat up. You know, event, eventually, the Rays are going to get hot again. You know, the the Blue Jays are gonna are gonna stick around. And you're gonna have to face these teams. You're gonna have to face a lot of good teams coming up. 
You know, you're, you still got you still got to face the rest of the division. And even though teams like the Baltimore Orioles and the Red Sox are struggling, you know they always put up a fight against the Yankees because that's what they do. You know, you still have, you still have to play the Houston Astros. Still got to play the Angels. You got you got a lot of tough games over the course of the season, with especially when you still got like 110 games left to play. You can't have guys hitting 170 in the lineup every single day. It's just not it's not sustainable. And I and I hope that the Yankees front office sees that, and they're they're prepping their chessboard to make their moves to take on the rest of the season because I I know that I I wouldn't stand for that if I was general manager and I hope that the manager the coaching staff isn't standing for it and is asking for these changes. They they may say to they may say to reporters that we will stick by our players because you have to but I would hope that they're making their making any concerns that they have known because it it really is it really is something that they that they can't continue to have this problem as it goes into July, August, and September. You know, you could you could do it till you can play around with it till the All Star break, and then you gotta you really gotta figure it out. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump away from the Yanks. I'm gonna go over to the Mets because like they have they've been playing really really well over the last several weeks. They they jumped out to an eight game lead in the NL East, and and they're doing that without Jacob Degrom. Doing it without Max Scherzer the last couple weeks, I got to give them a ton of props as they are getting the clutch hitting. They're getting really good pitching out of guys like Tywin Walker, Carlos Carrasco. They're they're making they're making things happen. They're they're making noise where you know fans are getting legitimately excited for what that team can be, and they sh- absolutely should be because ever ever since Steve Cohen comes in a couple years ago and buys the team. Everything feels different. It feels like there's a lot more optimism, and there should be. You know, there's, you know, Pete Alonso is having an incredible start to the season. I think he's already at like 47 RBIs, hitting the ball really well. Like he, he might, he might be the NL MVP right now. And they're they're feasting on the NL East. They've done they've done very well. They've already played the Phillies 12 times. They're winning right now. You know, those are the teams you have to beat. You have to beat the teams in your division to really get things rolling. And then you you tread water the re- with the rest of the league. You're going to be just fine. This team is doing a lot more than treading water. They're they're swimming. And if you're a Mets fan, that's exactly what you want to see. And you want to see it continue to roll. You want to see Lindor continue to to hit well. You want to see Marte continue to get on base. You want to see McNeil keep doing what he's doing. I, I, I look at the Mets lineup. I would love the Mets lineup to be what the Yankee lineup is. You know, fo- like have your focal point be Pete Alonso slash Aaron Judge, and then build around that. And that, and that's something that can be accomplished. Yeah, I got, I got to, I, I got to think Mets fans are dreaming of the day when the flash comes across ESPN. Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom activated from the IL will pitch Tuesday and Wednesday games against whoever. Because you know that day, that's going to be a day of great excitement in Queens. Because they're going to get to see what everybody wanted. 
they're going to have their 1 and 1A. One and should they be able to pitch at the capability that we all know they're capable of, there is no reason that the Mets shouldn't be NL pennant favorites. Because when you have two pitchers like that who could conceivably start twice for you in the playoffs, you know, that, that's going to be hard to beat four times. And when you still have guys like Chris Bassett and Taiwan Walker coming up right behind them, like that's, that's not really something you want to be messing with in the playoffs. Or really ever for that matter. So, I have to think Matt fans are really excited for that day to happen. And just as a New York sports fan, I'm, I'm here for it too. Just uh, about to wrap up here, I got a couple more things. Uh, I'm gonna go off the beaten path here and, and anybody who knows me, I, you know I talk about Arizona State athletics on here a lot. I've, I've had different athletes from, from the ASU world over the years. Had, I've had guys like Herm Edwards and Greg Powers. And it's now super regional time for softball. And I, when, when I was a student there, I used to work, work a lot of the softball games. So I kind of, I grew attached to the sport. And now that the, now that it's the read, it's playoff time, those games are all on ESPN. And I, I enjoy watching it. And so I want to wish luck to the ASU softball team in their Super Regional tonight against the Northwestern Wildcats. The winner of tonight's game goes on to the Women's College World Series in Oklahoma City. They're about to take the field probably in a couple of minutes. And ASU came in ranked 8th. Of the teams that made it to the regionals last week. So they got to host. And because they were still in the top half of who was left. They got to host the super regional as well at Farrington Stadium in Tempe. So they, they got, they got the home field advantage. They lost on Friday, won yesterday. So this one is for everything. And just like the Rangers, one game. You lay it all out there. Win or you get to take you get to take your finals and not be happy about how you finish the season. So I wanna so I wanna give a shout out to Trisha Ford and her staff and the women on the team. Go out there and go beat them. You did it yesterday, you know you can do it today. I I, I know softball isn't the biggest sport out there. But I do, highly, I really do recommend watching it. It, it, it goes quickly. Like, everybody talks about how baseball is slow. Softball is the antithesis of that. Where, you know, the, the girls are in the circle and they are ready to rock immediately. You know, there, there's no way, there's no walking around and, you know, getting yourself together. It's sea ball, windmill, catch ball, get it back to the pitcher. They're ready immediately. Take a quick look at the, take a quick look at the band to see what what pitch you should throw with two strikes, and you're going. And there's a lot of action because it because it is a smaller field, so you know you want to try you want to try to go first to third. It's going to be a lot closer of a play when the fence is 200 feet away rather than 350 feet away. You know, center field is a lot closer, so you, you do see a lot you do see a lot more home runs, and 
that that's one of those things that I, I think you could conceivably take some ideas from softball and put them into baseball, where you know you you really should be able to keep a batter in the box, so that way that way things move a little bit faster, and then you you really wouldn't need a pitch clock because if I if I have to stay in the box, as soon as the pitcher gets the ball back, he or she can just go. And that that seems like a that seems like a very reasonable thing to do. So I that that was one of those things I learned from watching all the softball games over the years. And I I continue all these years later I continue to enjoy watching them. I will wa- I will watch the women's college world series just as I'll watch the regular college world series. But it, it's it's something different. And you get to see the next generation of pros that we'll be eventually rooting for in pinstripes, in blue and orange, or wherever else. That's gonna that's gonna do it for me here. I want to thank you all for listening. Gotta of course thank Brian behind the glass. Follow me on Twitter at Andy underscore Sukov. If you have anything you want to tell me, argue with me about, I'm here for it. Thank you for listening. Enjoy Memorial Day. I hope the barbecue is good. I can already smell it from here. Enjoy. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.